Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello, happy holidays, and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here. Thanks for tuning in. Listen, we got some feedback from our fantastic Smart People Society, and one of the pieces of feedback was like, look, I don't like intros. So I'm setting a new goal. My solemn promise to you is to keep intros under three minutes long. That is three minutes max from when I start talking. That is literally like 5% of the entire show. Now, here's the deal. Why have intros at all? Well, it's really my only chance to get to talk to you. And we are also changing that. A couple things. First, make sure you're connected with us on email as we step that game up. If you want to be able to give us feedback on how to shape this show, who to have on, what to do, where to go next, please sign up at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash society. That out of the way, this gives me about a minute for our guest. This week we have on the show Todd Rose. And Todd, among many things, is the author of the brand new book, Dark Horse, Achieving Success Through the Pursuit of Fulfillment. This episode is all about success, what it means, and what the Dark Horse Project at the Harvard Graduate School of Education taught Todd Rose. Todd is the director of the Mind, Brain, and Education program at Harvard, where he leads the Laboratory for the Science of Individuality. If you want to connect with Todd, you can find him on Twitter at LToddRose, or you can go to his website, which is ToddRose.com. And there's two D's in there. Spoiler alert, by the way, if you like the topic of success, make sure you're signed up for the newsletter because we have a project regarding success that we've been working on for over three years now at Smart People Podcast. 
So just make sure you're signed up. Go ahead to smartpeoplepodcast.com for that. Last thing I want to say, I want to give a shout out to one of our listeners, and that's Tony Simonson. Hope I pronounced your last name right, Tony. Tony emailed us. It was the coolest email. He just said, hey, I found you out of nowhere. And you guys have provided so much entertainment and learning for me over the past couple of weeks. So he's a new listener, but I don't know, to, to listen for a few weeks and then reach out, take the time to send us an email. It just meant a lot. So you can all email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. And Tony, wherever you are out there driving, which I know you are, hope you enjoy the show. To everyone else, we'd love to hear from you. Here it is, Todd Rose, as we talk about success and his new book, Dark Horse. Enjoy. Well, Todd, first, thanks so much for being on Smart People Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. All right, I'm going to start here. Your book is Dark Horse. What is a dark horse? Yeah, so most people, when you think of a dark horse, we think of it's somebody who was successful that nobody saw coming. And that's actually technically true. But in our work that led to this book, what we found is dark horses are actually people who prioritize personal fulfillment as their view of success. And that's what leads them onto a very individual path. But it's also, we found, what leads them to be able to be successful and happy. Man, you can't even imagine how many people I've talked to who say that success is an emotion, right? Like Mm -hmm. they're the same things now, I feel like. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's that thing. And I know that's a lot what you talk about. What's an example? Do you have any examples that we might be aware of or people you talk to in writing this book that define a dark horse? Yeah. So we found actually, interestingly enough, there were, there were two broad kinds and I can give you some concrete examples, but the first were people who kind of struggled or not, not kind of really struggled early in life only to, to have a, a turning point. And then they're just suddenly like really successful and people are like, where did you come from? Right. And the second kind, uh, were people who actually were pretty successful by society standards, sometimes really successful, but they wake up one day and realize they're really not happy. Um, and so they decide to make these pivots and, and go in completely different directions. And then they end up successful there too. And again, we just don't see them coming. Um, but again, what they, what, no matter which one of those two you were, what, what they had in common was that sense of personal fulfillment is going to be the thing that drives your life. Um, concretely, uh, one of the things we thought was really important is um, so many things are written about famous people and it, it kind of bothered me a little bit. I mean, I love reading about them too. It's more, but like, it's like a guilty pleasure, but I thought, you know what? We only want to talk to people who are like everyday people. Like, I mean, successful, but like not famous people, not rich people because we feel like their circumstances might be a little different. Right. So we only talk to people who were like the rest of us, right? Never had enough money, never had enough, the same connections as everyone else, but were able to make like amazing breakthroughs in terms of their life. Um, I can give you a concrete example of one of my favorite ones, if that's helpful. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. So it feels a little bit like talking about your children, right? When you pick like your favorites, cause they just, I love their lives. But, um, so one of my favorites is a guy named Alan Rouleau. So he is, he starts out, um, as, in this hard scrabble town in Massachusetts, blue collar, and he can't afford to go to college. And so he's tending bar. 
Uh, he turns out, turns out to be pretty entrepreneurial. He figures out a way to own the bar. He buys up a bunch of real estate uh, um, restaurants, racket, tennis rackets, courts, and stuff like this. And he has this nice um, little mini empire. And he's young, and he's like, everyone's like, well done. And he could have just like made that his life. But he knew something was missing, and, and for him it was something creative, and he didn't know what it was. So he sells everything he has, and he moves to Boston. And the sort of the short version of this, and the longer ones in the book, but the short version is he ends up being one of the top bespoke tailors in the country. And it, it, like the path he takes is crazy, but it's like I just love that he, you know, he comes from blue collar stuff. Where, I mean, I don't think you'd ever know what a bespoke tailor was, and now he's just like shaping fashion on the East coast, like nobody's business. Wow. Um, the other, the other one that, uh, that always comes to mind is we talked to a woman who, uh, dropped out of high school, uh, had a kid when she was in her teens, was ended up working in a fast food restaurant and her life seemed just completely like rock bottom. You flash forward only 15 years. She's now an internationally respected astronomer who's discovered a planet and an asteroid and she never went to college. Um, and she carved out this amazing path to become this incredible astronomer. So the book is full of those kind of things, just people that end up doing stuff that you just can't believe. And it's just from all walks of life and all manner of ambition. I love that. And you know, my my next question kind of came to me as I was reading up and preparing for this interview. I'm curious if you would consider yourself a dark horse. And the reason I ask, I mean, look, your bio literally goes like this. Uh, Todd dropped out of high school, obtained his GED, attended night classes at Weber State. Oh, and then received his doctorate in human development from Harvard Graduate School of Education, completed a postdoc fellowship at Harvard Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. It's like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. How did we get from high school dropout GED to astrophysics at Harvard? Is yeah. this where the idea of a dark horse came from? Yeah. So I think like most people stuff like your intellectual interests always have kind of a personal component to them as well. Um, I was super curious about these kind of folks and that's, you know, we wanted just to see, did they have anything in common? It, it certainly was the case that like my path was not straight, you know? And, um, I, I will say this though, like, I think I I'd like to say, I, I feel like maybe, um, I understood a few, maybe a, like one or two of the things that I, we learned from dark horses and it made a big difference for me in going from a high school dropout with a GED to a professor at Harvard. Um, but my goodness, like what we learned from when you look across hundreds of people who have lived these lives and the things that emerge that, that make fulfillment an actionable idea rather than like fall your bliss off a cliff. Like I wish I would have known all these things. And um, honestly, like people, when they ask me about my own life story, they would say like, well, do you think like other people should follow it? And I used to always say no, like, like, like there was so much luck involved and there was so much, you know, you know, and now like these basic elements for a dark horse mindset, honestly, I would tell anyone it's a reliable path, you know, to success. And I would advise anyone to, to follow them, including my own kids. So, you know, and that's another thing I enjoyed about your book is you talk about this mindset and the four elements of the dark horse mindset and essentially turning this idea of fulfillment into, like you said, an actionable plan. What strikes me is, and, and one of the reasons why I started this podcast is to understand the mindsets of others to try to become more well-rounded. The reason I say, and, and I was kind of um, forced into this mindset as well, but 
I realized early on in adulthood what success meant to me, which was this idea of fulfillment. What what I'm questioning is what is the alternative to, to that? I mean, what what shocked you about studying success uh, as you learned what people believed about it? I was surprised by two things um, and I'll kind of ramble and then you can rein me in here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, go for it. The first is, again, fulfillment was not on our, on our minds in this research. Like, it, like I was actually not happy. I, I got to be honest. Like, it feels squishy, right? And I'm a numbers guy. I was like, like this is not like, what am I supposed to do with fulfillment, right? Like, this is, uh, I was expecting to find that people had certain kind of personalities like a Steve Jobs or Richard Branson. They, they like really love bucking the system and that's why they're dark horses. So this fulfillment thing kind of came out of nowhere. So that was really surprising, right? So alone, that was like, okay, well, wait a minute. If, if they keep telling us this, we, we got to dig in and figure out how it is that they're using this to live the lives they want to live. But then as a whole nother strand of work, you know, I, I founded a think tank called Populous that um, does a bunch of stuff. But, but one of the things that we're after is, is, is trying to understand how does the general public think about success, right? Because I, I believe deeply that people's view of success is an incredible why like it's a why for it drives everything and to the extent that systems are aligned to that and we talk about that people will listen and and if you get it at, at odds with it people don't and so here's the thing i imagined that dark horses their focus on fulfillment made them kind of a unique quirky side group right um but here we are just trying to figure out where the general public is and and this will be the first people that uh, we have not published we're publishing these in just under a month. So this is <laughs> breaking news from our, our think tank. But um, we were looking at the, the Americans we used. It's the largest uh, two surveys ever inclu included focus groups all over the country. Um, and, and here's the thing. Up until recently, uh, most Americans define success in some combination of wealth, status and power. And they, it, they viewed success as very comparative, right? It's like, are you better than the other person? Not not the best version of yourself. And they used to believe that success was zero sum, like somebody has to lose. And what we've seen is, uh, for the first time in surveys, that has changed. And it's changed really quickly. So today, uh, we know for sure that a sizable majority, about 60% of the American public now say that is not how they wanna think about success. It's not with their parents, it's not how they're trying to raise their kids. And when we when we ask them to articulate their own view of success, it inevitably lands in this combination of, look, I got to pay the bills. So it's not like I just want to like, you know, whatever, go live in a cave. Um, they want to achieve stuff. So it's not just being content. Right. They still want to accomplish things. But then they talk about things like meaning and purpose and fulfillment. And at the end of the day, what they want is the ability to to accomplish things that matter to them. And they're very serious about it. It's incredible, like how much they're willing to give up to be able to pursue that. Um, and so that's very surprising to me. Like I never would have imagined that was true. But I find it interesting then that we've got a public who doesn't seem to be able to agree on anything politically, at least. Right. Like um, and yet this we have this undercurrent of a new view of success that we all hold in common and we don't realize it. And so I'm excited about that, but I do find it incredibly surprising. And so for me, connecting these two worlds, well, we've got these dark horses who had already committed to that kind of success and have figured out how to really make it work 
like really make it work. And you've got a public who deeply wants it, but doesn't know what to do next. I see. So let me try and sum this up. So now we have really great context here. The idea is you've done a lot of surveying research, things that you do at your think tank to understand, look, the, the general consensus is success is a combination of, you know, money and accomplishment, but really adding on meaning and meaning and fulfillment are taking over some of the previous aspects. So we have yeah. that. Then, and then we have people who have done that systematically. And what you're looking to do is how do we fill the gap to bring people from where they want to be to, to or from where they are to where they want to be using these dark horses as a guide? Exactly. Okay, cool. So here's where I want to go with that. And again, a lot of my thinking is biased for a number of reasons, but I feel like it's one of those common refrains. If you say, oh, success means, you know, the million dollar house, the 2.5 kids, the, you know, nice car, but it's, but people say that. And I feel like they say it not really meaning it, right? Like, like I've never, and, and spoiler alert, I don't know if our listeners know you and I were talking about this, but John and I have asked, I don't even know, almost every guest for about four or five years, what does success mean to you? And I've never expected someone to say money, status, you know, wealth. So is that just me being blind to what it, the, the norm used to be? Do people actually ever say that? You know what? It's um, it, they do, but it's a very small group. So the, they're, they're in, in our work, we found about 17 percent of the country will say exactly that. Hmm. And <clears throat> now but but what's interesting is um, it, the, the folks that don't right? The, the people who deeply want something else, they feel enormous pressure, real or perceived that what they call society's view of success, right, is really forcing them to, to make choices that really, really aren't good for them, right? They, they have to follow these same paths, do the same things, be the same as everybody else, only better, you know, take this standardized test, make sure you go to the best college, you know, take this. And um, they feel a lot of pressure and it, it frustrates them that these systems seem to be working against them rather than with them. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. See, because I was having this this disconnect between this idea, I feel like an old-fashioned view of success that I don't think many people still carry and to it, by your numbers 17%. And by the way, no right or wrong. It's just this podcast right. I do it to learn and get perspective. Um but what you're saying is take that and say we've moved past that, but we still have a vast majority of people who view it in one way, but we pressure ourselves assuming the viewpoint of others. And if we could all just say, wait a second, look, this is out of date. If nobody thinks like this, we can all stop working for it. Is that That's right. fair? Is That's that kind exactly of right? So, so we found in our research that that 60%, they think that um, they're a 5% minority. They, they think that 95% of their fellow citizens still want that old fashioned view of success. And I, I think personally, what's driving most of that is not other people telling that them that, but when you look at our institutions and the way that they're structured, right? So you take something like education, yeah. it is absolutely built for that old view of success, right? We're all gonna sit, you're gonna put your kid in class, you're gonna sit and do the same thing as everyone else, and then we're gonna rank you. And if you rank higher than someone else, you'll get to go to a better next step, right? A better college. And if you beat someone else out, you get to go to these other things. It's like, it, it's like they see the behavior of those institutions and they're like, look, 
somebody must want this, right? Because if you live in a democracy, in a market economy, a majority usually gets what they want, right? And so I think that they're seeing it and saying, look, the fact that it, this is how our society is built means that somebody wants it. Mm. Um, but what we're seeing is it's just not true. It's this legacy. Like at some point it was true and we built these systems and now we've moved on and we want something different. And I think we're deeply frustrated because we, we live in, these, in this society where our public systems keep forcing us back to the same standardized idea of success and we don't want it. Do you think that they're forcing us to this because that's how they make money? So if we keep this facade of success up, then you have to go buy the new car, the bigger house, continue upgrading your TV, show off to your neighbors, et cetera. Yeah, well, like, it was funny, like in our focus group, some of the people would say, well, well, I mean, look, people, I get, we get advertisements for Rolexes all the time. And so that must mean people want it. And I was like, or Rolex has every incentive in the world to want you to believe that's a status symbol, right? right. And that you want this. Of course, that's true, right? And I think that um, what, one thing that's kind of interesting is when we dig into the numbers a bit, what we see is that that, that small percentage of people who still really like this comparative zero-sum idea of success they're not evenly distributed across society, right? They tend to be really loaded up on the coasts and they tend to be men and they tend to be men in who have obtained positions of power and of prestige. Of course. Right? right? Like it's like, hey, this worked out like gangbusters. Why would I want to change it? Right. Yeah. So they, and so so they do have a lot more say in the way our media operates, the way our systems are structured. Um, and then interestingly enough, the only other group, the sizable chunk of that uh, 17% is also men, but they're men, um, who haven't fared very well in the system They, you know, they, um, they high school or less, um, you know, make about 40 grand or less. They've been unemployed recently, but they still hold this comparative view success and they hate the people that have been successful. And so it's just like this weird kind of like that 17% is like fighting it out with each other. And the rest of us are like, man, we're moving on. Like, we don't want this anymore. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that strikes me, I'm wondering if your research kind of bore this out. People might say what they believe success to be and then even know what they need to do to get there. But my question is, are they still willing to give it up? Right. Because it's a lot easier to say, hey, look, you know, I know success is enough money and, you know, a roof over my head, but fulfillment. But then if somebody came to them and said, okay, you can have that, but we're going to have to take 30% of your pay or whatever it is. Would yeah. they, would they be willing to make that trade off or are they so ingrained in the old school societal or egotistic view of success? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have some uh, new work that's, that's pushing on that using conjoint analysis to get at like, what are you willing to sacrifice for this really? Right. Not, um, and it does look like, I, I think where we're at with, I mean, it's a little bit of a gradient in that um, there are people who say, you know what, I, I think I, this is where I want to be. This is the kind of how I want to think about success. But at the end of the day, like they're really gun shy, right? They're, they're really nervous that it's risky. And so you have to, there's so much that has to happen for they're really willing to act on it. And then you have folks who just need to know that they're not alone, right? That there are these examples of lots of people who think like they do, who are able to carve off enviable lives, right? Um, and for those folks, I mean, what we see over and over again is it's it's like 
they get a little bit of a taste of what was supposed to make them happy, right? So like like we all know, like it's hard, right? The first time you finally have enough money. And so I grew up poor and I was like, the first time I had enough money to buy a nice car, I was like, this is gonna be amazing, right? And it it is, like I, I like nice cars and I like money and, but then you realize, but but at the end of the day, it's not enough, right? There's, there's something else missing. And why I love dark horses, why I'm just like such a fan of the people who've been able to study is it's like, they still have those same things, right? They still like to and get worry about the same things we worry about, but for them, their desire for personal fulfillment becomes stronger than the pool of this old view of success. Yes. I'm watching them sacrifice, watching them say, look, no, I, I know, I know that I need to make enough money, but after that, it's not going to make me happy. And then the, it, the freeing power of that, where it's like, now I'm going to make choices that are going to maximize fulfillment. Like, I, I think that is so remarkable. Um, and I think that um, my hope is really is that by learning from them and sharing these um, elements, this mindset can help more folks take that next step, right? From just desiring this view of success to starting to make it their North star in their life. You know, Todd, I, I honestly, I feel like we are kindred spirits and I'm just <laughs> going to go with this. I don't know what the listeners think about this, but I'm going with this because what you are studying, what you are illuminating and talking about is something that I have been thinking of and crafting for about eight years now. I mean, almost to a T and here, here is what I want to say about that. Um, so a long time ago, I auditioned for, to, to give a TEDx talk on almost this exact subject. And I didn't get it because the talk sucked. That's fine. But <laughs> the, the main premise was, you know, I feel like the newer generations, because we are, yes, a lot of things look like they're going downhill in society, but for all intents and purposes, things are continually improving and our basic needs are being met. So if you say, okay, first we need to survive. Uh, second, we have this drive to multiply. And then after that, it's really to thrive. That's how I looked at it. And, you know, I look at even my, my dad's generation, you know, surviving. Yes. I mean, at its most basic level was there, but, but barely, I mean, there was no safety net. Whereas I personally have that safety net. I can look towards the future and think more deeply about thriving. Did you yeah. find, or do you find that that is why the cultural shift is happening? Because less people are fighting for survival at their most basic level, or am I just in my own bubble? Yeah, I, look, I, I think that um, what's so interesting to me is, like, I I generally subscribe to the idea that, like, you know, like a little bit of Maslow's kind of you know hierarchy yeah. like of, of needs. Um, what is so interesting to me though is that at an individual level, what what we saw is that people starting to say maybe that hierarchy isn't as rigid in the sense that like maybe I don't have to choose. Maybe that idea that that first I have to secure these things, then I can thrive is actually a recipe for almost never getting to thriving. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yes, you have to make some compromises. Yes, you're going to do th some things you just got to do. Right. We all have to do that. But like at, at bottom, if you're focused on realizing like, no, 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 no. At the end of the day, I want to thrive and I'm going to use that desire and I'm going to make choices based on that. Right. And again, sometimes I have to make choices that are more practical, but by the by, like I'm going to be able to continue to make choices based on what brings me fulfillment. That's how you end up getting all the way there. Now I will say that, um, one of the things at a more macro level, like 
I actually think it's not surprising that people would scoff and be like, oh, come on, like a society of like people living fulfilling lives, that's like about as naive as it comes, right? right like, right, right. Like, it's not how the world works. And it's like, no, look, you know, I, it always reminds me of like um, John Adams, you know, he, he had that famous quote that he said, you know, I must study politics and war that my sons may have the liberty to study mathematics and philosophy, right? Like that there's progress there. Like we, we, we should be grateful for, for previous generations, right? That they built industrial systems that really eliminated the idea of starvation right? and like made us into a consumer nation. And, and suddenly like we have material abundance, like even like we, we talk about the haves and have nots, but look, I'd rather be a have not right now in America than the king of Spain, like 300 years ago. Exactly. It's like, forget like, so, so they've made progress and it, that progress now allows us to say, hold on, now there can be something more, right? And it's not surprising that people who, who, who have spent most of their time in that past, you know, sort of epic, that like they could think like, no, this, this is how it is. Mm-hmm. And I think what's so important is that those of us who are seeing this sort of new idea of thriving, to realize that like the past can only teach us so much. Like we've got to this point, we can do this as a society if we take a few steps, and if we do that. We'll have not only like individuals who have deep engagement in the work that they do, but we'll actually be much better off as a group. Ho, ho, ho. This week's episode is brought to you by me, Santa. This year, do me and the fine gentlemen at Smart People Podcast a favor by shopping through smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. It'll greatly help support the show and it'll save me and my elves time this holiday season. So when you do your shopping, do so through smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. Ho, ho, ho. You know, I have this other uneducated theory that you can't tell people what success is, even if you know what it is, right? Like, like, you can't, even if I pull aside a 21 year old who's going into finance and they're going to work 120 hours to make their money and all that. And, and every sign and every study and everything's pointing towards it because this was my goal. My, I mean, I got certified to coach that individual, right? Because of what happened to me to say, look, I see your path. You, it won't end up good for you. Right. <laughs> um, now that's, that's being a little naive and, you know, thinking I'm omnipotent and all that. But my point is, some people pointed out to me, look, would you have taken that advice? And the answer was no. I had to learn it on my own. I had to be shocked into my understanding of, of fulfillment, which has led me to live the life I want on my terms. So my question is, do you think that it's a not just an uphill battle, but almost an unwinnable battle to try to catch people before they go off the deep end? Or do we have to just wait until they fall and then say, okay, now that you're ready, here are the steps to fulfillment. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, so I actually think um, it's both. And, and, and here's here's how I view it. Um, I think for a lot of people, um, look, we've lived through generation after generation after generation of the promise that if you pursue this view of success as societies defined it, you will be happy on the back end, right? You may not be happy in the process, but look, when you get there, my goodness, is it going to be awesome, right? And I think we've had enough like generations realizing that's just not true. Um, that we're starting to worry, like to want something else. But but I do think for a lot of people, you're going to have to say, look, like, especially look, 
again, like I grew up in, in, in rural America, the idea of, of like, like my idea of what it meant to be successful, I just, it, it was so limited, but, but you weren't going to convince me that if I made more money, it wasn't gonna be better. Right. right? Because like, it's just, I, I would not believe you. And I still like money. It's not the thing, but like, uh, mainly for the choices that it allows you to have in mm-hmm. life. Sure. But, 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 so I think it's okay, right? I think it's okay to be able to be there to say, look, when you get to this point, you're going to want something else. And this is how you're going to make your, your own pivot. Right. But here's the thing. I, I believe deeply that part of the problem is that, you know, we, we found in, in, in the dark horse project that led to this book, that the single biggest starting point for people getting on a path of fulfillment was having a deep understanding of what truly motivated them. Like really what motivated them. Not, not like I like competition. I it's like, these deep set mosaic of things that matter to them, even if it doesn't matter to anybody else. Now, once you are in tune with that, right? Like, well, wait a minute, I can make decisions big and small, right? Based on those things. And I can feel the difference. I can feel the difference even in when in recreational decisions, let alone workplace. When I, when I pick myself into a situation that really aligns to what motivates me, the way it feels right. So right now we don't do a good job of helping people figure that out for themselves, right? In fact, if you think about in, in education, my guess is you probably were never asked that, right? We right. do a lot, of, a lot of effort telling you, we give you some tests and be like, here's your aptitude and here's the jobs that you could do. And I'm like, yeah, but you didn't even bother to ask whether I care about this, right? Mm-hmm. My, my, my son, when he was um, in high school and, and going to college, they, he did really well in mathematics and they kept telling him like, Oh, you're, you should do these jobs and you should be into this. And he kept saying, yeah, I know I'm good at it, but I don't care about it at all. Uh-huh. Right. And it's like, and, and they were just like, we're not like nonplussed by that. Like, <laughs> what does that have to do with it? Right. And it's like, like, so, you know, he cared, turned out to care about computer science and he had to spend, but, but the idea is that like, we just keep looking at what we think you're good at that fits into our society and think that you're going to be happy off of it. I believe that if we spend more time helping to cultivate, um, the habit in in younger folks that um, how does you come to know who you are and what really matters most to you um, and get in the habit of making choices, even small ones off of it. I think we're going to actually cut into that group that has to wait until they realize this, you know, they have a midlife crisis because it's like this is not the life I want to live. Right. Which is the thing I hear so often. That's why there's so much alignment in what you're talking about. One of the things that I was curious about is. You know, when you're um, when you're talking to these dark horses, did you find and we'll get into the mindsets, but did you find a common theme that threw them into the better understanding of themselves so much so that they were able to, you know, shed this societal norm of success? Yeah. I mean, so really, because what again was so remarkable about them is they're navigating a world that there's no mile markers, right? There's no like, here's how you'll know you're on the right path, which is pretty incredible to me. And I, and I feel very grateful for having got to study them because I think they've revealed those things for us, right? Like kind of how to know whether you're really, really doing this or not, um, or just being a flake. Right. And, um, so, so I think that like, there were really two things that showed up a lot because even these dark horses weren't like, Hey, I'm going to reflect on what matters to me and then I'm going to do it. Like, Usually, just like you said earlier, it always there was some catalyst that was like, 
either they're successful but not happy or or life's just not working out, right? This standardized world is just they're losing and whatever it is forcing them to realize like it's not working and I have to figure something else out. And so it's it's less about this aha that I suddenly know what my calling in life is and just knowing that like the present situation isn't good enough and they've got one life to live and they're going to figure it out. And so then usually they'll they'll get on this path of like, OK, well, what is it? Right. How do I figure that out? Um, but but and usually it always um, for them involved making a choice. It's like action. Right. Rather than just pure reflection all the time. It's like I made a choice. It, this felt a lot better. I, I was more creative. I was more productive. I enjoy what I do. I wake up every day. And it's like, wait a minute. Why is that? And And like getting to the root of why it is that it's so great for them. Um, is what then they start to understand better and then they start making really, really good decisions. The other ones, sometimes, honestly, just out of pure luck, they end up stumbling into things that um, just really click, right? And they don't even know why. And if they happens early, then they just look like they were born for this work, right? They just like spend their whole life getting to do things that are just deeply fulfilling. Um, and we, we looked at people like that too, right? And um, and, and looked at like the ways that they get uh, sidetracked even um, getting pulled in. So I do think it's still about action. I think it's about, um, but it's about being open to like understanding why the things you're doing are either bringing you joy or they're not. Yeah. And, and that's actually what I want to talk about. I want to get very practical here. I'm sure our listeners do too. I always like to put my myself in their shoes going, okay, I get it. I get it. What do I do? Right. But, um, but before we talk about the mindsets and, and maybe you pull that in here, what I'm, what I'm wondering is for the person out there who feels this internally. And I mean, I can give you any avatar you want because I feel like my life is full of these people who have all the societal standards. I mean, I live in Northern Virginia, one of the wealthiest counties, you know, everybody, it's this little bubble. It's great. All educated. I've known my friends for two decades. You know, that's not, it's, it's not a brag. It's just my situation. I'm not, I'm not claiming any greatness. My point is I also have really deep conversations with them about what it's like to be a partner at a firm or an executive at a firm, making money, working all the time the difficulties, right? And you see this balance of like, I've achieved the success. I don't know how I feel about it, right? So, mm -hmm. so I, I know a million people out there listening are, are thinking this like, okay, I'm on this cusp, right? Mm -hmm. What do you say, what can they do if they're feeling the pull of this interview, right? Um, yeah. To start leaning into their own version of success and, and, yeah. and start taking those baby steps. Great question. So here is what I think the most drop dead simple starting point. And if it'll require a little bit of a leap of faith, but if, if, if they trust me and try it, you'll be shocked at, at, at bang for the buck, what it buys you. So one of the easy things, cause this, it does come down to like, you've got to know what truly motivates you. And, and I don't mean passion necessarily because uh, although passion is great because passion is, is passion for something, right? So like I love football and I'm passionate about it, right? But that's not the same thing as understanding why. Like what what are the motives that this is tapping that makes this so – me feel such passion for it and therefore will bring me a lot of fulfillment if I'm achieving on it? And so the, the er, easy early step 
and you just can't sleep on it, you gotta try it, is just start listing the things that you actually enjoy doing. And I don't just mean work, it can be work, but instances of work where you've actually enjoyed doing it, um, the things you do outside for fun, whatever, the things you just like to do, and ask yourself why. And the why is everything. So again, if I go back to football, like is it because you like playing it because it's outdoors? Do you like the competition? Do you like the collaboration because it's a team sport? Is it the strategy component of it? Like that stuff matters, right? So, so you and I could both end up loving football, but for very different reasons, right? And so the reason this is so powerful is if you do that just a few times, start working through that, it'll pretty quickly reveal a handful of things that are really true motives for you. And once you get a hold of those, you can be proactive now. So, so often what happens is we tend to find an activity, like whether it's a job or something, and it, it brings us such joy and we're in fulfillment and then things change, right? And it goes away or we lose interest in it. And we're like, what am I going to do with my life? You know? And it's like, but if you understood the why behind these things, you can engineer the next step, right? Because that constellation of, you know, 10 things that really motivate you, you look for your next choice. And it's not trying to just to a choice that maximizes like the one white hot passion that you have. It's the thing that checks as many of those motives as possible. Um, so that is the first step for me. And I, there was nobody, like not a single person we studied who got to, felt like they were living a fulfilling life who did not understand that about themselves. The rest of the book goes into greater detail about how you put that into action through choice and strategy and those kind of things. But this is the starting point. And I promise you, like we've road tested it with non-dark horses. It's such a great starting point. And I'll say one more thing, which is, and this is probably as true for parents as well, but also for us individuals who are trying it. Like what you need to know is like, okay, if I'm doing that and I'm making choices on this, like, isn't this like, how is this just not just being selfish? How is this not just being like, I'm just pursuing every little thing that makes me feel good. Um, and how do I know this is really putting me on a path of fulfillment that will lead me to be excellent and happy? And the the thing that showed up all the time um, was the best indicator of that is like personal responsibility and sacrifice. That without fail, dark horses that were on this path, they they did not shirk responsibility. They did not freeload, right? It's, it's, so it's not just making a choice and being like, okay, now you're going to pay for it, right? Like, it's like, no, like I'm willing to make the sacrifices for my version of fulfillment and they do it gladly. It's, it's not like, it's, it's not suffering, right? So when I always talk to parents, I think about like, if your kid wanted to be an actor, kind of the classic kind of, I'm going to move to Hollywood, right? <laughs> it's funny because you know, my brother did that. <laughs> perfect, right? So, so what's funny is, is that we say like, okay, um, I, I remember talking to one uh, dad who's like, oh, my daughter is, yeah, she lives in LA. She's got like seven roommates and she works two jobs as a waitress. Um, and she really hasn't gotten anything yet, but boy, and, and he, he really thought that was failure, right? Mm -hmm. Like the fact that she had seven roommates was like, things were going wrong. And I said like, is she happy? I mean, when you talk to her, like, does, and does she want to come home? Is he, he's like, oh no, no, this is like the greatest time of her life. I'm like, hey, she is taking responsibility for those choices. And she, even though from the outside, it looks like, oh, what's going on? Like, this is great. It doesn't mean she's going to be the next superstar, but it does mean it's a good path. On the other hand, if she's like, oh, and by the way, dad, will you buy me a car and pay for my rent? That's different, right? Because if you think there's a, the number of things that I'd be willing to do if somebody else was paying for it sure. is 
pretty vast, right? But that number shrinks in a hurry when I have to sacrifice. So if, if, if from a practical standpoint, if you start by this, asking this, like, what do you enjoy doing and why, and start to really take that seriously and start making some choices off of that, big and small, and then keep an eye on, like, if you, if you really aren't willing to sacrifice at all, if you're really, really not, this is not a path. Like, this is, this is the press pause and like go back to the drawing board. Right. Be, and and the sacrifice could be any number of things. It could be the money you make, the size of your house, the cars you yep. drive, but everything. I, I love this. And what one thing that jumped out to me is how does this idea or your findings differ from what I believe to be this common knowledge of, you know, after you make a certain amount of money, happiness does not increase by money. So call it whatever it is, $75,000 or something. Well, what's the yep. difference between that, which has come out, I think a, a little while ago and what sure. you have uncovered in your studies? Sure. So, um, yeah, I would agree with this, that like there's, there's a certain number. I think it's, I, even though in the aggregate, it's like uh, we can give it like an average number. I, I think it's the spreads quite wide, but I think for each of us, right, there's a certain amount of security that we feel like we need. And, and some of us have, more tolerance for less security, right? And some, some need a little bit more. And it's like, yeah, that's going to bring you a great deal of satisfaction obtaining that, of course, right? Because when you have no security, that that's like your your mind is laser focused on trying to solve that problem. But the idea that like once you get beyond that point, it's just not going to sort of linearly lead to more happiness. And actually some of the research shows it starts to curve off, right? Like you keep pursuing that wealth and actually your happiness goes down. Um, I still feel like I'd like to try that, to test that myself, right? Like, Oh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> right? But, uh, but no, but the thing is, is that um, what I feel like is lacking in that, although I think it's really great insight, so I don't have any problems with the insight itself, is, okay, so I know that like after a certain point, like earning more money is not gonna, not gonna make me happy, what do I do? Like, what's ah. the alternative, right? And so for me, this is not about um, avoiding being unhappy. This is like, I feel like it's about what is the best way for you to be successful, right? As you define it. And it's going to be really, really personal. And I think there is a path that allows you to have that holy grail of being, of really achieving stuff, right? But also being happy <laughs> along the way. And the problem is, is that you can't do it or it's very hard to do if you focus on sort of standard kind of achievement, right? Like I'm going to do this and then hope that you're going to make up for the happiness on the back end. What we found and what I believe deeply is that you can have both those things, high achievement and happiness, but it starts as early as possible with putting fulfillment as the driver of those choices. Yeah. And you know what I'm thinking I like to try to summarize or make things succinct for my own kind of uh, remembering. It's this idea that if you let society define success or others define success, you're you're kind of chasing maybe a moving target. But if you define it, then you know what you can work towards. And if you accomplish it in spite of those around you or external circumstances, you can feel good about it. Absolutely. You know what I, I mean? mean? At the end of the day, it, like if I was going to boil this down and say, look, this is about who gets to define what success is for you, right? Either you get to define it or somebody else will. And, and make no mistake, if you don't define it, somebody else will. And you will spend most of your life chasing something that in the end you didn't really want. And you do not want to spend, you know, the majority of your life to figure out the hard way that you didn't want it. 
right? And right. like it, it, it's the thing is, is that there's and and part of this is like, hey, isn't this great? Because like, I think people should have a right to to live these meaningful lives. I mean, you get one one go around on this, and so. Um, but look, if I was just being super selfish from a economic standpoint, right? Like, I think it's it's uh, very solid research. The idea that like engagement at the work you do is a very good predictor of productivity, creativity, this whole thing, right? Like you, like we really want a workforce that's engaged. And yet right now, you know, we have Gallup saying, they're polling saying a majority of Americans are disengaged in the work that they do, like disengaged. And like something like, I think it was like 30%, I, I can't quote me on that, some, some surprising number were like called themselves actively disengaged. Yeah, I, I know exactly what study you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, like, and then you go to education and it turns out a majority of kids in school are disengaged in their learning. Mm-hmm. Like this is a red flag, right? Like e- either engagement doesn't matter, which I, I think it absolutely does, and if it does, then how can you have a society where a majority of people are disengaged in what they do? And if I flip that around and say, look, if we could take some steps to ensure that the majority of people in the society wake up every day and do things that they are deeply engaged in, I will bet everything I have that that will lead to a society that is far more innovative, far more creative, far more productive, and by the way, I think far more harmonious, right? Like I think just this is a path for us to actually have a much better society and prosper. Um, And so one of my biggest fears is that when we hear things like fulfillment, that we think it's a luxury, and and I I don't. I, I think this is an absolute necessity, and I think this is both good for individuals and good for society. Well, I'm glad you covered that because that was one of the things that struck me in the first two minutes before we hit record that you and I were talking about. This wasn't just a thought exercise for you. This wasn't just a research article that turned into a book. This was a better vision of the future and essentially how we get there through something that oftentimes people can view as, you know, like you said, fluffy or or just a nice to have when in reality, yeah. this is a need to have for engagement, but prospering as a as a society. That's right. And, and I think like I believe deeply that we that the, the world has changed enough. Our society has changed enough that um, most people can live fulfilling lives if they take a, a few steps in that direction and that. I see the, this kind of two obstacles we have to overcome. On the one hand, as individuals, we need some guides, right? We need some, like, how, how do I get on this path? How do I take the next step? And I do believe that dark horses really show us more clearly than anybody else that I know how it is you do that, right? But then there's this whole other issue of, like, that will get us so far. Where we'll really get somewhere great is when we start to create an expectation that our public systems are supporting us in this, right? That when you drop your kid off at school, the expectation is that people in that building are trying to help your kid figure out who they are and equip them to lead this fulfilling life, right? Like if you start to expect that and when our systems start to respond to that, which they will if a majority is asking for it, then we'll get the tipping point, right? Then it, it won't just require the sort of pioneers who are like, screw it, I'm doing this no matter whether you're gonna help me or not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, it will actually be the, we'll be in a glide path. 
Like people will be born and they'll come into our system and the, the expectation, the, 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 the social pressure will actually be to, your job is to pursue a fulfilling life. Your job is to make a contribution back to society. Um, so I feel those, those sort of twin challenges. And again, I think dark horses help us individually to get going. And I think we have to do the work of, of, of socializing the fact that not only do we all want this, but that it's actually possible now. You know, I mean, I know I got to let you go, but why I think your mission is, first of all, it's brilliant, but it's also well, you know, it's eloquently stated is this idea that we know today that by all accounts, we are more, you know, monetarily prosperous, especially as I'm talking here in the U.S., but we are less engaged. We are less productive. There's a recent study saying, you know, we were, I think the past year or five years or something. We were the least productive on average since the Great Depression. Um, And, you know, a lot of happiness studies were lower. We're not connecting with each other. And so much of this could be because of the idea that we are, I find we are specializing. We are forcing people into specializations based on external circumstances as opposed to internal, which is what we've been talking about. I I love it. Um, you know, I know we didn't talk a ton about the practical in this episode, but Hey, that's why you wrote a whole book about it. So look, (laughs) if you like this and I know I can, I know our audience would be on fire about this. I absolutely am. But, um, the book is dark horse achieving success through the pursuit of fulfillment. And I, the take you've, you've brought is so great because look, I mean, if you write a book that has the words success, pursuit, fulfillment in it, Man, I mean, that goes on a shelf with about 7 billion other books. So I I feel it's hard to take a unique, educated, actionable approach, which you've done. So I really commend you on that. And thank you for bringing it to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Anywhere else. I mean, of course, we'll link to the book anywhere else you're kind of writing or we can find you or keep up to what you're doing. I mean, you mentioned your your think tank. If you want to tell us about that or a website you have. Yeah. So it's um, the think tank's called Populous. And uh, it's and then. Really, probably just social media, like it's L Todd Rose, L T O D D R O S E, and um, we'll be start being a lot more public about the work we've done in the coming month or two. All right, thanks so much, Todd. See ya. Have a good one. Another week, another interview in the books. That was Todd Rose. Hope you enjoyed his book, Dark Horse: Achieving Success Through the Pursuit of Fulfillment can be found on Amazon and at your local bookstore. And as always, if you decide to purchase his book, please do so through the Smart People Podcast Amazon link located at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. If you're looking for other free and easy ways to support the show, head over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever podcatcher you use and leave a rating and review for the show. If you'd ever like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at Smart People Pod. That's it for us this week. Chris and I at Smart People Podcast hope you have a fantastic holiday and happy new year that you get to spend it with family, friends, and loved ones. We look forward to speaking with you again, so make sure you stay tuned. We've got a lot of great episodes coming up, and we'll see you all next episode.